to ask you if you would open it up to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, no, Peter, excuse me. Boy, I had to tell you the right one. The book of Peter, thank you. The book of Peter. And uh, I'm going to preach um, over the next several weeks uh, an idea uh, to you the Lord gave me in prayer, um, just a reminder to, to, to help us understand how you and I function as believers here in the earth until he comes. And uh, the illustration with this is, is that in the Old Testament, there were basically three anointings that existed. The prophet, the priest, and the king. For example, you remember that David was a king. He was not a priest, nor was he a prophet. Samuel was a prophet. Nathan was a prophet. These were how people that God used to shape humanity, to shape the world that, was then, that then existed. So these three anointings that were there, and then, of course, the priest. And the first priest would have been Aaron, who was Moses' brother, who was a Levite. And only the Levites could be the priests of that day. So these, uh, these, the prophet, the priest, and the king, and I want you to remember this, is how God shaped the world at that time. That was the anointing that God used to shape the world. Now Jesus, when he came, he was all three of those things. He was the prophet, he was the priest, and he was the king. Now he was not, uh, he was not a Levite, but he was a priest, the Bible tells us, according to the order of Melchizedek, right? So, good, you know your Bible. So that's, that, that he, was a, he was a priest of our day, he was a priest to us under the order of Melchizedek, and then the king, he was the king of kings, right? So then Jesus ascends into heaven after, you know, a couple of, he's with the disciples for, for uh, 40 days, and then he ascends into heaven. When he goes, though, he anoints them. And now that anointing of the prophet, the priest, and the king is on the church. And it's on God's people. All right? Now, I'm not talking about a prophet in the sense of that the prophet that's talked about in Ephesians 5, you know, the five ministry gifts that are talked about there that Jesus gives, which is the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, and teacher. But I'm talking about the prophet being the prophetic ones that are speaking prophetically to shape the world or to shape the humanity that we live in. That anointing is on you. have Jesus in you, all three of those anointings, the prophet, the priest, and dealing with each of those aspects, things that Jesus has given to us so that you and I can shape the world, shape our families, shape our communities, shape the world that we live in until he comes. He told us, and when it, he said, when the master goes away, he says, he says to his servants, occupy until I return. This is how we occupy, by being prophets, priests, and kings, okay? Prophets, priests, and kings. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it tells us there that you are a chosen generation. Say, I'm chosen. You're a chosen generation through Christ. You are a royal, you're a royal priesthood. And if you write in your Bible, I want you to underline that idea there. You're a royal priesthood. 
You're a holy nation, his own special people. Now watch this, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So now I want you to see this in the context. Remember, we always, I always talk to you about when you look at a text, you have to know the context of that text. You want to know what is this really all about? This text is telling us, this passage is telling us that you have been anointed to do something. You have been anointed as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's own special people. And a lot of Christians go, hey, man, that's awesome. We are, you know, we used to sing a song. I am, you know, I'm a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But here's the thing. That's not the end of the story. You know, I always like Paul Harvey. You know, he would always do the, for the you that are a little older, the rest of the story, right? If you look at the rest of this verse, this verse is telling you and I that, look, we're, that is all. We have all of that, that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he didn't just make us a royal priesthood so we can sit back and go, judge everybody. That's not why he made us a royal priesthood. He didn't make us a royal priesthood so we could just say, look at me, I got a title, you know, I'm a holy nation, I'm a, I'm a chosen generation. He did this so that we could proclaim the praises of Jesus who called us out of darkness into his light. Now the American Standard Version says of this verse, but you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may show forth the excellencies. So see, when you have something, you're showing something. If you've got this, then there is a showing or an action that has to follow you having this in your life. That you may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has given you the priesthood ministry. Now, I want to make a statement to you that I want you to really think about this. I want you to really, at first you might go, oh, I don't know if I agree with that, but I want you to think about it. You are as close to God today as you want to be. You're as close to God as you want to be. People say, well, I want to get closer to God. Well, why aren't you? Why don't we? If we are a royal priesthood, you know, a priesthood is one that can go to God. If you're a priest, in the Old Testament, you know, the priests were the only ones that got to go to God. I mean, that was it. So they go, unless you look under David's thing, which was a real unique situation but that, that, that happened for a period of years but did not happen continuously. So when the tabernacle, when the temple was set up, you know, in the tabernacle and temple, they had the, 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 the veil, behind the veil was this Ark of the Covenant that uh, God sat upon. Basically, his presence was there on that throne. And inside that was the tablets that, uh, that Moses brought, you know, had from the mountain, Aaron's rod that budded, which was a symbol of authority for the Levitical priesthood. And then also was the manna, a pot of manna that, uh, that was there for the, uh, you know, the God's provision in the wilderness. If you go past the veil right here, if the veil, uh, and this would actually be the direction it would be facing, 
the Ark of the Covenant would sit there. The veil would be right here. On this side of the veil would be the altar of incense. So there would be a table that would be set there. And at this table, the, what would, the prayers of people would be lifted up by the Levites. So you would have the, they would pray for the nation that would be there. Now once a year, those Levitical priests could go beyond, the, one of them could go beyond the veil to place blood upon the Ark of the Covenant for the sins of Israel, for the sins of the people. But, but most of the time, all the time, all year long, except once a year, they only came to this far in the presence of God. Nobody went beyond the veil, all right? So here you have this veil that separates you from God, that, from the Levite from God. And then you have this altar of incense that sits right here, and there's incense every day being put on there, and that's where Zechariah, remember Zechariah in your Bible, how that an angel appeared to him? He's, doing, he's in there doing the temple service, and as he's doing the temple service, an angel appears to him. Now, if you look at the altar of incense here to your left, you're going to have the candelabra, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, seven, um, the seven candlesticks that are there, you know, the flame that's there. What's it? Huh? The menorah, thank you, that's here to your left. To your right is the table of showbread, which would be the bread that they would, the bread of presence, they called it, that they would bring in, Okay. And they would bring that in, and it had to be fresh, and it, you know, it, 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 could, it had certain regulations that had to go with it. But in this area, only the Levites got to go, all right? Only the Levites. They were permitted to be in this part of it. In this outer area, so this is the inner court, in this outer court area, you had where the sacrifices were being made. Out here you would have the brazen sea, which is where they would wash the, the animals that they would cut up. Um, you would have this brazen altar where they would be burning all of these things that would be happening outside, but that's all happening out here in the outer court. You can go, as an as a Israelite, you can go that far, but you have to hand off whatever it is you've got there. You can't go any further. You can't go beyond the sacrifices. You can only bring it to the place of sacrifice, give it to the priest, and the priest has to make all that offering for you. Now, I want you to just grab hold of this now, all right? When Jesus Christ came and he gave you and I the priesthood ministry, what he said is, you don't need anybody now to stand between you and your God. You don't need anybody. You don't need a preacher to do it for you. You don't need a preacher to do it for you. You don't need a priest to do it for you. You're a priest now. You're a priest. Now, what troubles us at times is because of our religious training through the years, you know, we think of priests as like more of a, more the reverend or the, you know, much more higher position. But the truth is, is that God has anointed you as a royal priesthood. So going back now, there is nothing that inhibits or stops you from being before the, in the holy place, the holy of holies, the Sanctus Santorum, there is nothing, there is no veil that's been torn in half, right? That's opened up through Christ. There is nothing that stands between you and your God. So now I'll go back to my statement. 
you're as close to your God as you want to be. You're as close to your God as you want to be. And if you're not closer, then why aren't you closer? See, Revelation tells us in chapter 1, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, that he's the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him and loved us, him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Revelation tells us in verse 1-6 that he has made us kings and priests. You're the, you now can go before God. You can go before God and there's nothing that hinders you from going except you. Except you. Revelation 5.10 tells us once again, it's confirmed twice, and he has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And we shall reign on the earth. Now, I want you to turn, if you have your Bible, to the book of Leviticus. Now, we would have just read this this last week, and uh, if you're reading through the Bible with me. And I want you to go through the, to the book of Leviticus with me. And I want to show you a passage here. The Lord really challenged me about this last week. Leviticus. And that's going to be before Numbers. So you go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Or if you're using a Bible app, then it's L-E-V usually. All right. So... In Leviticus is all about the setting up of, you know, a lot of people read this Leviticus and go, oh my gosh, this is going on and on and on and on. But there, are, there is also, there was always some wisdom that God wants us to get out of all of these. We just have to be open to the Holy Spirit and not go, oh my goodness, this is so long reading about, you know, today we were reading about leprosy and how to deal with leprosy and but this passage we read this last week about the priesthood was about how that Aaron and his children and the Levites were established as the priests. And I want you to look with me at verse 30. And if you don't have it, we have it up here on the screen. And it says, And Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar. So now stop for a minute. If you remember, what he did is, is that when, when all of this was all set up in the tabernacle, that what Moses did is he went in and on the holy place and he sprinkled blood, he splattered blood on all of it, all right? The blood of the animals, which was a sign of redemption, the redeeming power of blood. And uh, so he's putting the blood on these things and then he goes, after they put the blood on, they put the anointing oil on, okay? I want you to see this. So what's happening is now is Aaron and his children are standing there and Moses is taking that same blood that's on the altar and now he's putting that blood upon Aaron and the Levites, all right? Which is a symbol of redemption. Redemption meaning that you're redeemed out of your sin, that there is now no separation between you and God. You're in that priestly ministry. After the blood is applied, 
Then the oil is applied, and the anointing oil always is a representation of the Holy Spirit. So there's two things that happen for the priesthood ministry. One is redemption, two is anointing. Say that with me. Redemption and anointing. And anointing. So you have to have both of those. You have to have that, you have to have the redeeming power of the blood and the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit, all right, to fulfill the priestly ministry. Now, I want to show you why that is in just a moment. But I want you just to realize here that what's happening is, is, is that the blood is a testimony. The blood is a testimony. Now, this is so cool. The blood testifies that you're redeemed. Thank God for his blood. By the blood, we sang about it here this morning, by the blood we are redeemed. We're redeemed from the curse of the law. Jesus became the curse for us. The blood has set us free. When you and I, when we receive that into our, Christ into our lives, the blood has now eradicated sin from our lives. It hasn't eradicated sin, it's eradicated it from your life. Okay? Now, it's a testimony of the redemptive work of Christ in your life, the blood of Christ. So when that priest is splattered with the blood, just like everything else, now it is redeemed. It's been set free from, it's set free from what bound it, from the sin that bound it, and it's saying that now it is a separated, it is different because of the blood. The blood has changed it. But I want you to notice here that it isn't just the blood that does the work. Because the blood even though it is a testimony, it is the anointing oil or the work of the Holy Spirit that is the evidence. It's the evidence. Proof. You know, we were, I was talking with Jeannie about this the other day. <laughs> I didn't realize it had to do with this message, but the Lord brought it back to me. That, you know, in a court of law, if you're on trial for something and someone is bearing false witness against you, if the evidence, the evidence becomes the final proof, right? Now, they can use a witness experience to try to, you know, to impugn you or to, 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 to free you. You know, a witness can say, you did this, you did this, this is what I saw, this is what happened. But here's what changes things. The witness is, is great, the testimony is great, but when you take the testimony that is now verified by the evidence, now you've got real power at work here, all right? Because there isn't a court of law that can stand up against a testimony that aligns itself with evidence. Would you agree with that? If the testimony and the evidence line up, now, in most court situations, if the testimony cannot be, if the testimony is against the evidence, and the evidence says one thing, even though they, they just call those accusations or a false witness or false testimony. But in a court of law, when you have a testimony that lines up with the evidence, you have proof, all right, and you've got the power. You and I, as priests, we are free because of the redemptive work of Christ in our lives. But Jesus didn't just redeem us so we could walk around going, 
I'm redeemed. Woohoo! I'm redeemed. Praise the Lord. I'm redeemed. I'm, I'm a holy priesthood. I'm redeemed. He did that so you could show forth. So what's he got to do? He's got to give you oil. He's got to anoint you. He has to anoint you so that now your testimony and the evidence is there. And the evidence. And the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, they are the proofs of the redemptive work of Christ in our lives. To show forth the praises of him who has redeemed us. God did not make you a priest so you could sit back and go, well, I'm in a special class of people. He anointed you so you could be as close to him as you want to be, and you could take his power to the nations. I mean, he gave us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Can you believe? I mean, it's so powerful. What did he say? You will be witnesses. He wasn't just talking about, he said, you'll be witnesses to me of, my, of the resurrection. You'll be witnesses to me everywhere you go because you're not only going to say something, you're going to prove something. You will not only have the, the testimony, but you're going to have the evidence. Now, let's start with just the basis of this, all right, the basic part of this. Richard Jolliffe is a redeemed man. But I don't just have a testimony going around, I'm redeemed. I can show you evidence in my life that I have walked away from the power of sin and darkness and now I'm existing in the light. And that I live my life fulfilling the priestly ministry, not as a pastor, but as a priest, as a representative of God who can get as close to God as I want to be and can take the power to humanity as much as I want to because of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, that I am a changed man. I am a changed man. I am transformed, not conformed to the Christianity. See, the big difference, see, he told us not to be conformed to the world, but that also means don't be conformed to Christianity either. When we're transformed, we're, as it's, the word means, you are completely altogether different. You know, the great example of that they use is how a caterpillar goes from a butterfly, right? So that's a transformation. It is altogether different, Right? Now, can that butterfly act like a caterpillar? Well, if it wants to, it can. But that's not what it is. Can it just walk around and just, you know, eat leaves and not fly wherever it wants? Sure it can. It could do that the rest of its life till it's dead. But that caterpillar is altogether different whether it wants to recognize it's altogether different or not. That caterpillar wasn't conformed to be a butterfly because that doesn't work. That caterpillar was transformed into a butterfly, altogether different than what it was. You and I, we're not conformed to a Christian ethic. 
we are transformed through the renewing of our mind. That we realize when renewing our mind, what we're finding out is who we really are. That's what that's talking about. We renew our mind to know exactly through the word of God what God says about us. And God says you're a holy priesthood. You can come, you're a royal priesthood. You can get as close to him as you want to. And you can take as much power to the world as you're willing to. We are witnesses, testifying and proving that he's alive. That he's alive. Even Jesus, when he appeared, it says that in the book of Acts, when he came to his disciples, that for 40 days there were many infallible proofs that he brought. Infallible proofs. See, the works of the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit, is not just on those who are called into fivefold ministry, into the clergy, if you will. That anointing is on every one of your lives. Every one of your lives. Jesus said it in Mark 16. He said, go and you guys, look, anybody that believes, well, if they believe that they can go out and cast out devils. You don't have to call a priest to do an exorcism, right? You don't have to splash holy water on them and go through all these rituals. You are anointed, you are anointed to cast out devils. Jesus said you can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They will recover. See, to me, what that means is anytime, now listen to me, anytime anyone, anyone tells you they're sick, that there should be an activation in your life immediately, can I pray for you? Because I am anointed to pray for the sick. Say it out loud with me. I am anointed to pray for the sick. Okay? Close your eyes with me if you would. Say it out loud. I'm anointed to pray for the sick. Oh, okay, good. So when people say, I need help, we just had a, this is a great testimony. Last week when we were doing the Easter deal and doing the, the, the eggs and then uh, um, uh, the chairs, this little girl had uh, contacted me and said, Could you, would you pray for me? I'm blind in my right eye. And I said, absolutely. I don't even have to think about it, right? I don't have to go fast and pray about whether to pray for somebody who's blind in their right eye. She's a young mother, um, very young, and has a baby. And, you know, and, and, and so I said, Come see me. Let's let's meet up, and and uh, you know, and I'll pray for you. I'll, we're going to be at the Easter function, so why don't you come to the church, and I'll pray for you. So she came, and and when she got here, she said, "So they're telling me that you know I'm, I'm blind in this eye, that it's nerve, it's not my ocular, it's not my eye, it's my the nerve behind my eye is inflamed, and it's swollen shut, and I can't see out of it. I'm completely, I can see a little bit on the edges." And they're, trying, and they're telling me they think it's MS is what they're telling her. And uh, she says, and I'm just, I said, are you scared? And she said, yes. And I said, well, I can understand that. So uh, we want to deal with that fear first. Remember, the word is what drives out fear. Faith drives out fear. Faith will always, if the person is willing, okay? Now, if you're standing there talking to somebody and you're not sure about it, you're not helping them. So stop talking and find somebody that knows what they're talking about. 
<laughs> some, find somebody that's sure about what they're saying, okay? So I told her, I says, well, I believe God's going to heal your eye right now. I'm going to anoint you with oil. Here's where the Bible talks about it. I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. This is what it's going to sound like. We're going to pray the prayer of faith. And uh, the Lord's going to, it says he'll raise you up. He'll heal you. And uh, I'm believing that no matter what the doctors say, that's not the final word. You need to go ahead and do your MRI, whatever you got to do, whatever they tell you. That Look, I'm believing that by the time you go to the doctor that your eye is going to be healed, that you're going to be able to see. I just got word yesterday, the day she went to have her MRI done, her eye popped open and she could see that day. Hallelujah. Her vision came back to her. Now, they're still trying to diagnose her with MS and telling her that. And I said, look, that's not the final word. Because, but see, you say, well, pastor, that's great because you're the pastor and God's specially anointed you to baloney. You're not even reading the Bible right. You're a royal priesthood. You're the ones that God has anointed. You can get as close to God as you want to, and you can take his power to the world as much as you're willing to. Anointing. Oh, this is so good. Man. Anointing without redemption leads to destruction. Anointing, you have to have both. You can't just have one. Anointing without, look at Samson, anointed but no redemptive work in his life. What ended up happening? He ended up destroyed. What about Saul, who was anointed king? Saul died as though he were never anointed because he never walked in the redemptive power that God had given to him. Anointing without redemption leads to destruction. It always will. Because we have to have the redemptive work. It always begins with the redemptive work. Remember, the blood was put first before the oil. Amen. The blood first, then the oil. Redemption without anointing. And sad to say, a lot of the church is operating this way today. Redemption without anointing leads to weakness and frailty. See, we can walk in redemption knowing that, hey, I'm going to heaven, but I'm praying for the rapture so I can get out of here because I can't, it's so hard in life. I just don't believe that that's how the disciples prayed, that that's how they thought. I don't believe that was the plan of Jesus, that you and I were praying that we would just be able to escape out of what's here. But actually what we're here to do is to transform this world through the power of the Holy Spirit. That we don't have an escape. I, I believe the Lord's going to return, absolutely. But till he comes, we're required to occupy. And listen to me, we will be held accountable for what we did not occupy. We will be. As a church body, read the book of Revelation. The church is held responsible for what it did not do. It was commended for what it did, but it was also rebuked for what it corrected for what it did not do. Redemption without anointing leads to weakness and frailty. So when we go, well, I'm saved, but I'm not going to walk in the power. See, then what happens is we become weak and frail. And this happens in the church. This is why, and I'm not, being, I'm not pointing out specific churches, okay? Uh, I'm just giving the idea with this. This is why churches you're finding that are closing and diminishing because they're not walking, because they, they believe in redemption. There's no doubt about they believe in redemption. But they're not walking in the anointing God's given them. And that is to transform and to change the world. And that's not just through social service. That is actually through taking the power of the Holy Spirit into the world. Jesus did not say, 
but you shall receive power so you can serve food to the poor. Do we serve? Yes. But we have to remember there's way more he called us to do than to take and be good social servants. Hallelujah. You and I, in Numbers, I don't have time to turn here this morning, but I want you to write this passage down. This is out of Numbers 16, verses 46 through 48. So Moses said to Aaron, a plague had broke out among the people. He said, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. This is Numbers 16, 46. Put incense on it. Take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord and the plague has begun because of the rebellion that was in society at that time. And Aaron took it as Moses commanded and he ran into the midst of the assembly and already the plague had begun among the people and he put incense and made atonement for the people. And the last part of this verse is one I want you to think about. And he stood between the dead and the living so the plague was stopped. Listen, you as a royal priesthood, that is exactly what you're doing today. You stand between the dead and the living. You carry the life within you, but not just the life for you. You carry the life and nature of God in you, but it's not just for you. That life and nature that's in you is for humanity. And when you and I, the people we work with, we have to remember this, there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. There, hell is a real place. Hell is a real place that people are going that have not accepted Christ. There's no arbitrary point in between. When you die, you are dead. When you're dead, unless you're resurrected at that moment, you're going to either spend your eternity in what you've believed. You will spend it in heaven with your God and Savior, or you will spend it in an eternity in hell. When we carry that kind, well, Pastor, that's so hard. I just, boy, I just, man, I, that's out, that, 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 that kind of brings me down. Look, it shouldn't bring you down because you're anointed to take the message to them. And the first place of power that you have to talk about in your life is what Jesus has done in you. That's your evidence. And here's the great good news. There's more evidence to come. If we will do what God says to do, God will do what he said he would do. If we will do what God said to do. He said, lay hands on the sick. You're not, look, I knew, I was so glad. Man, it takes the pressure off of me completely. When I was praying for that girl, I was so glad that I am not the healer. Man, I, I'm not the healer. I am not, I didn't tell her I was, I said, I'm just going before Jesus doing what he said, and he's the one that's going to heal you. You say, well, did you tell her that he might not? Why would I tell her that when I'm praying a prayer of faith, not a prayer of doubt and unbelief? We don't go, now, if nothing happens, you know, just come back again. Look, that's not what we're doing. We're saying, you're going to be made well. We're believing for a miracle here. And I mean, I'm using that illustration because it's recent. But, but look, there are all kinds of testimonies that have happened within the walls of this building and outside the walls of this building. I had a guy come up to me yesterday and said, I was buying some stuff at Tractor Supply and I should have stock in that company. And, and uh, man, I'm in there and he says, hey, can I, can, I, can I talk to you just for a minute? And I said, yeah, sure. He goes, 
well, I got this situation, and, and I've just, and, he, and he, he said, would you pray for my, you know, for, for one of my family? I said, absolutely, man. Because why? Because, look, I'm a royal priesthood. I don't tell him that. He doesn't need to know that. But I know this. I can get as close to God as I want to, and I can take as much of his power to the world as I'm willing to. I'm his representative. You're his representative. So it don't matter whether you're at Walmart or you're at Kmart. Well, they're gone. Uh, Meyer, or you're at the restaurant or wherever you're at. If there's something going on, people, you don't even, you're so anointed, you don't even know how anointed you are. I mean, we, most of God's people walk around caught up in the cloud of their own story that they can't see how redeemed you are from it. And because of that, you're not realizing how anointed, because you'll never realize how anointed you are until you realize how redeemed you are. Wow. So, question. Are you allowing past sin to distance you from Jesus Christ? Past sin. You're, you're past. I mean, are you... You know, you try to go so far with God, and then your mind, your carnal nature starts bringing up, yeah, well, you know, you were a perv, you were a, you were a liar, you are a cheater, you, were, you have anger issues, you were an alcoholic, you, you did this wrong, you've been through a divorce, blah, 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 all these things that just start coming up, and are you allowing that to, see, because what that does is that doesn't bring you closer to Jesus, it pushes you away from Jesus. Sin never brings you closer to Jesus. Repentance does. You know what repentance is? Repentance means I turned around. See, what sin does is leads me away. Repentance turns me around and gets me heading in the right direction. It's all repent means is to turn around. Doesn't mean to cry. I mean, if you want to cry, go ahead and cry. Sometimes we do feel remorseful because of the dumb stuff that we've done. But it is in that redemption of coming back into that redemption of turning around and heading towards Christ instead of away from Christ, that I experience the peace and freedom from forgiveness. So that's question one. Are you allowing present sin, now here we go, and disappointment to separate you from your relationship that you were chosen for? Sin and disappointment. Sin and disappointment. Things that you're involved in now you should not be involved in. Or, this is a tough one, your disappointments. Because let me tell you something, your disappointments are a drag to your spiritual life. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, therefore also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, lay aside the weight. What, are the, what is that weight? That weight is your disappointment. That weight is where you and I, where we have dealt with in our lives, uh, frustration, maybe with God, with people, with circumstances, but it's where we're allowing something to slow us down. It's the what if. It's the, well, what if it happens again? Well, what if I get too invested and that all takes place again? It's that little bit of resistance to our life that weighs us down. He says we're to lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. It's a, it grabs us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, question, are you allowing present sin and disappointment? Look, 
You say, Pastor, do you have disappointment? I have all kinds of disappointments in my life. Look, I tell you about the one I prayed for that was miraculously healed, but I can tell you about a bunch of people that they're still walking in the illness that they had. But I don't let that become a disappointment to me to stop me from moving forward. I don't understand everything. That's not what God called me to do. God called me to do what he said to do. It's not up to me to heal. It's just up to me to tell people he does heal and will heal. I don't save anybody. I can't. But it is my responsibility to tell people that Jesus saves, and if you'll come to him, he will save you from your sin. So, question two. Are you allowing past disappointment and could throw in another word, offense, where you've gotten your feelings hurt, to be a weight to you, to slow you down. Now remember, sin is driving you away. Weights are just making sure you're not getting there anytime quick. What are we supposed to do with all that? Put it aside. I love that it doesn't say, figure it out. It just says, put it aside. Put it aside. Put it aside. You know, that's the thing, like, just like in the idea of forgiveness. The word forgiveness means to put it away. Just put it away. You say, yeah, but it hurt. Yeah, right. But you'll never get over your hurt until you put it away. All right? You will never defeat disappointment until you put it away. You got you to get it away from you. Get it off of you. Lay it aside. It's not helping you. And this is good preaching. Amen. Third question. Are you living aware of the great power and anointing that you carry for this suffering world? Because not only are you redeemed, but you're anointed. Now, I can tell you about a couple of passages. I don't have time to look at them this morning because we're going to wrap up now. But there's a passage in John. First John tells us that he who has anointed you is God. One passage part in, in chapter 2, I think it is, it says, but he who has anointed you is God. You are anointed by God. You're redeemed and you're anointed. To do what? To be a royal priesthood. That means in this earth, you and I... We can get as close as God as we want to God as we want to. Don't let anybody tell you you got to do anything different than what I'm telling you to get close to God. See, when I, when I pray, when I pray to God, I don't have to go through 10 things to get to him. Here's what Jesus said to do. Just come to the Father in the name of, in my name, in the name of Jesus. So when I say, Father, in the name of Jesus, guess what? You see me here, but I'm there. Now, you say, well, I, well, yeah, but I mean, do you feel anything? Okay, look, that doesn't make any difference in the world because if you're going to let your faith be built off of feelings, you will always, be, you will always live defeated because you, your feelings are fickle. They are very fickle. So what we have to do to our, with ourselves is say, no, I say what the word says, and then I'm there. Now, if you do it, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> you do it consistently, 
what happens is your faith grows, becomes exceedingly growing faith, and you, when you pray, now you really do have that recognition that that's where I'm at. I'm with the Father. Second thing, when I stand to pray, there isn't anything, death, sickness, anything, that if God once has said in his word that person can be well, there isn't anything that can stop God from doing what he said he would do in his word. All he needs is me to be the mediator in earth to declare over that person what he has said. Man, that's good preaching for 8.30. Stand up with me if you would. Now I know that was a lot in just 30 minutes. Close. The world needs to see the power of the Holy Spirit. It does. And look, it doesn't, you know what's so awesome about this, and you know this, it doesn't matter whether you're eight years old and you're redeemed and anointed, or you're 80 years old and redeemed and anointed. It doesn't make a bit of difference. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or you're a woman. Redemption is redemption through the blood of Christ. And the blood has been sprinkled on you to be a priest. And then the anointing oil has been put on you. You already carry. Oh God, I'm just praying I'd be more anointed. You're already anointed. You're asking for something that's already yours. Say, well, I know. I know how we think. Well, yeah, but I just don't feel very anointed. Well, you know what you need to do with that. (laughs) Thank you, Father. I'm going to ask this morning, is anybody here that's battling uh, anything, especially, I felt like something like in your, uh, in uh, maybe in your gut area, you're battling something in the gut area, or I don't know what that's all about, but something internally in this area here. If you are this morning, I want to pray for you. Uh, I want you to, if you, is, is anybody here dealing with that? It could be in the second service, but is anybody bad? You got something? Come here, Stephen. Thank you, Father. Amen. So what's happening? Can you tell me? Uh, every, I get a pierce intermittent. Okay. It starts lower, sometimes it travels. Right across? It's like my whole girdle area. Okay. It's not a hernia, right, yeah. that you know of? Okay. All right, good. So would you stretch your hands up here? Amen. Thank you, Father. Chuck, go ahead and put your hands on his belly. You know, see, it doesn't matter whether I lay hands on him or not. I'm not anybody. Jesus is the healer. Right across the front of his belly there, Chuck, get it. Yeah, there you go. Hallelujah. Go ahead, Gabe. Come on up here. Amen. Some of you other guys that want to come and pray, come and pray. That's all right. You're really feeling, maybe you've never prayed for anybody. You want to do it now. This is a great opportunity, man. Hallelujah. One of our brothers, and he needs a miracle, this to be gone. Declare it, Chuck. Declare it, Chuck. Thank you, Father. Yeah. 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 Mm. 
Thank you, Father. Yeah. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's have our prayer team. Just make your way around, Stephen, guys. And Chuck, come on up here. Who's doing this? Dakota, you doing this? Amen. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Anointing. Amen. I'm redeemed. Say it. I'm redeemed. I'm anointed. Say it like you mean it. I'm redeemed. I'm anointed. I'm anointed. Amen. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Dakota, go ahead, buddy.